Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to the book of Acts. We're going to look at another uh, section here as we see the as we see God in Christ uh, continuing the ministry of Jesus uh, after he has resurrected and, and ascended into heaven. We see, you know, Luke, uh, who wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, part one, part two, describes the work of Jesus in his physical, in his physical ministry. And then he, and, and the book of Acts shows the work of Jesus in his spiritual ministry through the physical application, the physical outworking of his people. That it is Jesus in human flesh in, in Luke part one, and then it is Jesus, as it were, and, and again, in human flesh. Jesus, by his spirit, invading the hearts of his children, and then them living out that, living out the truth and grace that they possess to a world that is lost and broken, and to draw it, to transform it to himself. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And we see these encouraging moments where, that, where uh, the Spirit is fleshing that out and where what, what, what it looks like, what it looks like when the grace of God comes out of a person and out of a church into a, into a culture and what, that, what those transformations look like. And the same, things, the same things that were going on in the days of, of Acts are the same things that are happening today. It's the same work of the Spirit fleshing out and manifesting itself in the same ways. We just see its beginnings. We see its transformative power immediately in this process. So look, if you will, Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at this, uh, the last part of that section, um, starting at verse 26. So uh, follow along as I read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man has gone to Jerusalem, had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The Ethiopian was reading this passage, this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, and a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the Ethiopian said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the, and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him 
when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azatoth and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding, give us a sense of captivation, and give us humility to yield ourselves to you. But we ask all this for your sake, for the expansion of your kingdom, and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This, pa- the, this passage encourages me in, in, in a variety of ways because in it, in it we see uh, one, uh, several of the most profound impacts and, and aspects of what the gospel accomplishes in, in, as it takes hold of human hearts. Um, the, the, the thing that strikes me most in this passage, you know, and, and the reason I'm grateful that, that, uh, that God included it and that Luke uh, wrote it into, this, into the scriptures is uh, we begin to see in, in these last couple of chapters um, that when Jesus was ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, he says, Go and, and be my disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Meaning that God had landed the gospel, had landed the grace of God in Jerusalem, and he wanted it to ripple out. It's like a pebble in the pond. He wanted it to ripple out so that it filled the entire earth. And so they were back in Jerusalem, and everything, and they stayed, and they stayed, and they didn't move, and nothing moved until, until Stephen was martyred for his faith unjustly in, the, in a similar fashion as Jesus. And so then the, the ripple expands to Judea, and then Samaria. We see Philip in the earlier section, you know, in the, uh, if you, there's a paragraph, um, and there's a paragraph at the beginning of chapter 8 that talks about those who had been scattered because of the because of the work or because of the, the persecution of Stephen, preached the word of God wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. So here he is in Samaria and proclaimed to the, he proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many uh, paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city of Samaria. So we see it, Judea, Samaria. And now Philip is principally involved in opening the gateway to the world. An African Ethiopian. And not just just an African, uh, but a broken African an oppressed African. Uh, the passage, Luke even refers to him, not, he, Luke refers to him uh, as an Ethiopian eunuch, but he more often in this passage refers to him by his brokenness. A eunuch was a castrated individual, a castrated man, sexually molested, sexually damaged, sexually oppressed in many cases, 
we're not sure that the, the, the way that the way that that you would become a eunuch, that you would that you would that that, that, that would occur to you is either through abuse or through voluntary service. We do, that's how it happened historically. And so we're not sure, uh, Luke doesn't tell us which avenue, which avenue it was, and, and, and in many respects it doesn't matter which avenue it was. It's still brokenness whether he decides that he, in order to advance his career, in order, in order to raise himself to a higher position, in order to uh, have the benefits of a culture in, in Ethiopia, whether it was beneficial, more beneficial, more helpful for him to do that through 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 his own molestation or through oppression, through, through captivation, through, through, through some level of abuse, he was taken and forced into that capacity. It doesn't really matter. It's broken all the way through and through. And so this Ethiopian man, this African, Luke sees him. Luke, Luke, uh, Luke shares this story that, that comes to him probably through, the, th- probably through Philip, th- probably through one of the other disciples that heard this. And here is, here is a man who Luke, is, who Luke sees as the gateway to the world. Philip sees the gospel in great success in Samaria. Evil, you know, demons are cast out. Uh, people are healed. The gospel is being heard. People are paying close attention to what's going on. There was great success. There was great joy. There was great experience in Samaria. And, and if I'd been Philip there and God says, Gideon sends an angel, says, hey, I, wanna, I want you to leave here, leave all this success, and I want you to go down the road, down the desert road. I want you to go, go, go out to the desert and just for the purpose of meeting one guy, one man who has so much, there's so many barriers that you got to break to get to this guy. Ethnic barrier, barrier of distance, barrier of understanding, religious, religious barrier, the differences between Philip, the differences between, between the faith and this man are huge. There and sexually broken barriers, potentially moral, well, definitely moral, but not necessarily in terms of if he's oppressed and broken in this way, but broken, in, broken sexually, broken morally, uh, distance, to, distance from the faith, uh, ethnically diverse in huge ways, and probably, and probably in, in a way of conflict, in a way of, in a way of, uh, of rejection in some fashion. Here's this man and the thing that strikes me about this is it shows me the gospel's value of one of the one lost broken soul god by his angels comes to Philip and says, there's one out there. There is one lost. I need you. I need you to go to this one. The, the, the isolation, the loneliness. And, keep it, and the other element that, that you may not quite get with this is that here's the, here's, the inter- here's the interesting thing about this Ethiopian. We've noticed a little bit about him by the way that Luke describes him. We're understanding a little bit about him historically, about where, where this brokenness and where this distance from the faith comes from. But when Philip finds him, what does Luke say? What does Luke tell us 
how he finds him. He finds him having just come from worship and with a Bible in his hand. What is that about? And I'll tell you something about what more than likely happened. And, and some, of this, some of this is not in the text. Some of this comes from a good and necessary inference from the understanding of how history and how the work of God works. If he had gone to Jerusalem, it says that he's coming from Jerusalem, having come from worship. If he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, I'll tell you what response he would have gotten there. He would have been declined. He would have been declined because he wasn't the right race. He would have been he would have been declined because he wasn't the right he wasn't of the right cleanliness. That his brokenness, his deformity, his impurity would have barred him based on temple rules. Based on, based on ethnicity, based on, based on the guidelines that the Pharisees had established, he would not have been allowed to come into worship. And so here's this Ethiopian man, broken, molested, uh, damaged goods, comes all the way from Ethiopia, from his high position, and more than likely, he's, 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 he's knowledgeable, he's aware of these, he's aware of what's going on in Jerusalem, and there's something, and, and, and I don't know whether he brought the Bible with him and went home with it, with the Bible he brought, or if he got the Bible while he was there, more than likely, he did, because printing and processes weren't regular, it's not like you go to church there and you get a Bible like you do here, more than likely, because of his high position, you know, under, in, in, the, in the court, in the, you know, the, the, the commander of all the treasury of the queen, more than likely he had position and ability and, and finances to have a Bible, to have the book of Isaiah before he got there. Enough to know that if you want to know more about what's going on in the book of Isaiah, i got to go to Jerusalem to figure this out. Why would an Ethiopian, sexually damaged, broken, oppressed, mutilated man, live in the high life in Africa? Why would he, if he had the book of Isaiah, why would he venture to Jerusalem to worship? Well, the, Luke doesn't tell us exactly, but when, you, but when you look at the passage he's reading, the passage he's reading, Luke tells us, the passage he's reading is from Isaiah 53. And there's a section in Isaiah 53 that we, that we call the suffering servant passages. And here's that, and we see, we see the section from Isaiah 53. We see the section from Isaiah 53 that he is reading but I want to read another, I want to read another section from, from that suffering servant passage just to give you a sense of what else he might have been reading at that time. Here's what it says on Isaiah 50, 56, which is also a part of the suffering servant passage. And so we don't know what part of the scriptures he had. We don't know what part he's reading, and I don't know if he was reading this section. But it is curious to me that this is what was in that section two chapters, three chapters later in the book of Isaiah. Here's what it says. Let no foreigner 
who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my, com- my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to the covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Do you suppose a broken, damaged goods foreigner who read that passage, what do you suppose... What do you suppose he was feeling? What do you suppose, what do you suppose, living in an oppressed, forgotten, he was a used human. He had sacrificed, he had been, more than likely he had been oppressed and and taken hold of and was, and did, and no longer, no longer was his own, was no longer was himself. He was, he was, the property of another. He was the property of Candace and the government. Forgotten, alone, without a name and without a progeny. Unable to have any future. But probably in a position he he got, found, bought, this book of Isaiah, and he's reading it, and he comes across this verse. There's hope for eunuchs. There's a name for a eunuch. I'm not, I don't, my brokenness doesn't have to remain the way it is. It doesn't have to be my defining characteristic. The fact that I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, I don't have to be rejected. I don't have to be lost. I don't have to be forgotten. Are you telling me that, that my foreignness and my, and my, and my abuse and my, and my damage doesn't have to be the final word, that there's some hope for me in some capacity? I need to find out more. And so off to Jerusalem he goes to worship. Isn't that what the pastor says? Those worships, those eunuchs who worship me and keep my covenant shall not be lost. I will make for them a memorial. I will give them a name and call them my sons and daughters. So off to Jerusalem. That's how he gets to Jerusalem because the scriptures tell him to go to Jerusalem. And And he's there. And then when he gets there, The doors are closed. Almost the very opposite of what the passage describes. God has always, God has always wanted to mend the broken. God has always wanted to reverse the curse. God has always wanted to bring the foreigners in and make them not foreigners, but sons and daughters. God has always wanted to restore and redeem that which humanity has broken and draw them back and call them sons and daughters and give them a name and a memorial and bring them into his family and turn and enemies into friends. This is the work of the gospel from beginning to end. It is only because of a failed understanding of his servants that 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 message has not been holistically practiced throughout the ages. 
This is the grace of God. The grace of God breaks the ethnic barrier. The grace of God breaks the barrier of brokenness. The grace of God breaks the, barrier, the barriers of identity that I hold to myself or that others force upon me. The gospel breaks the barrier of distance between the person and the power of God. And when the, he gets to church and is barred, he's on his way home and God sends his servant to correct the damage. And Philip finds him and God says, you see that chariot? Go over there and stand near that chariot. And as he stood near that chariot, and there's a sense where there's a little play on words maybe going on here because there's a sense where my phone was burning my leg. There's a sense where Philip's saying, Philip's telling us that when the Spirit of God told him to go stand near the chariot, God, it's almost like as soon as he hears what he's reading, he can't, he'll do exactly what I taught him to do. Preacher's got to preach. I'm going, and I'm and if I, if I heard, if, if I heard somebody was reading this section of the book of Isaiah and didn't understand what it meant, I'm like, oh my goodness, this this and then he says, "Well, who is this passage?" The Ethiopian even says, "Is this passage talking? Is this passage talking about the guy writing it? Is this the prophet talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else?" And there's a sense where Philip's going, "No, it's not the prophet. It's somebody else. Let me tell you about the somebody else. Let me tell you about the somebody else. The somebody else. He's the one that mends the wounds. He's the one. He's the one." who took the brokenness into himself. He's the one. Let me tell you about the one. And I love, love the way he says, and starting from that passage, that very passage, he told him the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus is that he became the brokenness. He took on our shame. He took on our distance. He, he took what we could not bear and then paid for it by his death and resurrection and gives us back his righteousness, his identity, his grace, his hope, his forgiveness, his name. And it's exp I don't know all that went on in that chariot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand that Luke doesn't tell us all that goes on. He just leaves it very generally. I wonder, I wonder, you know, and then I wonder to myself, you know, if you've run into people, if you've run into people in your lives who, who've read the scriptures, wherever they are in the scripture, can you, are you, would you, how adept would you be at getting them from the passage they're reading to Jesus? The whole scripture talks about him. Every passage points to Jesus in some fashion. And, and certainly preachers are equipped for, with, for this passage. But I, I wonder if God, if the Spirit of God puts you in someone's life and they're reading a passage of scripture, can you get the, can you, would you be, well, number one, would you have it in your head that you need to get them to Jesus from that passage? Because everything in the Scriptures is trying to get them to Jesus. Not to the, not to, not to the, not, not to the secondary message 
of what's going on there, but to the primary message, Jesus, the centrality of what he's accomplished for me, not what it then produces in me, but getting them to Jesus. He already knew his brokenness. He already understood his distance. He already came with this sense of humility. And, and, and how do we know that? It's because he's seeking worship. He's seeking something that's promised in the scriptures. But then he's also, he says, Philip, I'm lost. You got to help me. I can't understand this unless you tell me. Unless somebody teaches me what this is. He comes from a place of humility. He comes from a place of help me. And then as Philip describes the person, the only one who can, the only one who can solve this, as he comes to, as he points the, to the centrality and the work of Jesus, the Ethiopian gets it. How do we know he gets it? I don't know, what, I don't know what all that went on in that, in that chariot. I don't know all that he talked about. But for some reason... When he sees water, he goes, shouldn't, shouldn't you put, shouldn't I get washed? Shouldn't, doesn't that apply to me? He puts it in his head. The metaphor and the reality of his heart makes sense. He says, I, should, I, I've, been, I've been cleansed, but shouldn't, shouldn't the water display what's happened to me spiritually, what's happened in my heart? I'm, I'm now free. I've been, I've been washed by what the work of Jesus has done. Shouldn't I then be back? Because that's, in essence, that's what baptism describes. And Philip says, of course you should. So they get out, baptizes him, go down the water, wade into the water, and Philip pours it on him, come out of the water. And Philip, job done, whisked off to the next mission. The Ethiopian is left rejoicing. He's left rejoicing. That's the impact when you're clean. The impact when you're clean, the impact of having experienced the grace of God in this fashion always leads the church to these very things, to reach out to the distant ones, to reach out to the lonely ones. When the, when the gospel of grace lands on a human heart, what we discover consistently in the book of Luke, in, in the book, uh, well, Luke, uh, Jesus is doing it consistently in, this, in his life too, always reaching out to the lonely one, the lost, the one nobody sees, even in a crowd. The woman with a hemorrhage. The Samaritan woman, cast out and lonely, broken sexually, broken relationally. Jesus is always going to the lonely one, going to the one that's rejected, going to the one that, 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 that there seems to be no hope. And, and when he is in the heart of a person, he changes us in our, one, one theologian says he, that he changes us theologically in our hearts and minds such that we then live, a, live that change sociologically out into the world. The gospel of grace finds the lonely one. And in your own brokenness, in your own distance, in your own being foreign to the gospel in every way, Jesus found you. Jesus came to you. Jesus 
transformed you by that grace and then by that grace turns you into one who then seeks out the lonely, the lost, the rejected, the foreigner, racially, economically, a foreigner, an outsider, someone who is different and desperately different than myself. I'm not sure there could be any greater difference in this day and age between this Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And God says, Philip, I need need you to go to this man because you have my grace. You know how different I am from you, and yet I found you, and I redeemed you, and I came to you, and I turned you into someone who I love and that, uh, that loves me, and now you will be that for him. Always breaking racial barriers, always concerned about diversity and and and. And, and reducing that level of diverse aspect. Turning the grace of God comes into the hearts of his children and, and, and transforms them into the people who reach out to the broken. Broken in every single way. Broken either by self-inflicted wounds, which is most all of them, and then broken by other inflicted wounds, which is the rest of it. Damaged goods either by my own choosing or by someone else's. And the gospel says, it doesn't matter how you got that way. I'm going to heal it. And God's people, God's grace in motion saturates that like salt and light. Salt in the, in the decaying, infested part of the meat to bring healing, to bring preservation, light, saturating the dark, dangerous places to make them whole and healthy and beautiful. That's the work of the gospel. That's what happened to you if you know him. And as the gospel transforms you, it makes you a... a child, an ambassador, a... an active agent in healing a broken, betraying, aggressively hateful, dark world to draw it in, to know him. Breaking the barriers that our culture continually has to redeem and to be the hope to the eunuch, to be the hope for the foreigner that they might, that we might have a memorial in the house of God and be called his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that, Lord, you have met us in these places and you are making that change within us. I pray that, Lord, you would give us, give us your power, give us your, give us your, your pleasure, Help us to operate not out of our own strength, but out of the strength of your spirit. For your namesake, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.